All right, we're rolling. Okay, sounds hey, good. Hey, everybody. I'm, uh, this is the Van Man Podcast. I'm Sam. I'm the Van Man. And I've got Olivia Dudding with me here today. Olivia and I grew up together. Mm-hmm. She's actually my sister's age, so her and my sister Liz are best friends. And she's a creativity coach, which I think mm-hmm. is really unique, really cool. Um, you can find her at oliviadudding-rodriguez.com. Oliviadudding-rodriguez.com. Perfect. I'll put that in the like bio the notes of this. That way nobody has to worry about spelling or anything. It'll just be linked there. Perfect. Um, but for people who don't know, what the heck's a creativity coach? Because I didn't know until yesterday when we were talking <laughs> about this. Yeah. A creativity coach is someone who is as invested in your creative projects as you are. And when that happens, we see a lot of traction develop and creative projects bloom. Why is that, do you think, with creativity projects? I feel like um, my initial reaction when you told me yesterday was, I don't want anybody touching my creative process. It's mine. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that's what's really fantastic about having a, a coach is they're not necessarily there to disrupt your process. They're there to make you accountable to your process so okay. that you can so that you can truly commit to what's important to you. Right. And we've talked about a little bit of, of how different people have different processes. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you feel like it's important to not standardize a process? Like surely there must be some sort mm-hmm. of successful writers typically do this. So we're going to try to get all of my clients to do that same thing. Is that right. does that not true? Do you disagree with that? Yeah, I think there are so many right ways. And to try to decide one way is best for all is to create a system that is not particularly diverse. I mean, I think a diversity of ways into creativity is what keeps it healthy. And so I I think a creative practice is really valuable. I think having a relationship with your project is really valuable. But what that looks like can look like a million different things that are absolutely right. Can you give me some examples from your clients of how their creative practices typically work or or what you've seen? So I think a lot depends on what it is that you're hoping to create. Um, I work with a lot of writing clients. Um, So I am well-versed in writing process and creative process in terms of developing a written idea. Um, So typically, if someone already has an idea that they've incubated already, there's lots of ways to build scaffolding, to to build a pace, to meet that idea, ways to walk through the process of of meeting those creative uh, those creative needs that the idea requires. Right. Or you could be someone who wants to be a writer without an idea, and in that instance, I would encourage someone to really be devoted to a creative practice with the intention of discovery. So not going in with any kind of critique and just building muscle around creating. Right. We kind of talked about that as well, how, you know, the first idea always seems like the best idea because mm-hmm. it's the only idea. But some, <laughs> yeah. and, and that might be true and that there might be aspects of that idea that really are just perfect. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the times as you, you know, develop and as you come up with more ideas, you might find that 
you know, the 75th idea pairs really well with the 300th idea. Absolutely. And you can only do that with a, with a daily practice where you're constantly just trying to write down everything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think any, anything that really matters, there's a, there's an author I really like. Her name's Adrienne Marie Brown. And she says in this book, I really love called emergent strategy that the only mm-hmm. work is the work of relationship. And anytime that you're in relationship with something, it is, a regularized ritual. You have to continually meet someone or something with with some perpetual intention. So right. a writing practice might look like every single day or it might look like every single week or whatever. But if if you want to perpetuate a healthy relationship with the thing that you love, you have to continually meet it. Right. You, you do have to nurture it. You have to, yeah. It, it kind of comes down to just time. You might not have a good idea. You might not know what the next step is, especially in a book, like trying to figure out what the next point of the plot might be. Right. You get from point A to point B in the plot. Yeah. But you can't just not do it to get there. You know, you (laughs) have to be putting in effort. And that might mean writing out 60 different versions of of that chapter until you finally get to the one that you really want. And that takes just... I mean, there's nothing much more than effort in hard work, right? And what you're describing also is a process of trust, right? Right. If you can commit yourself to writing it multiple ways, multiple times, then what you're really doing is you're fostering this trust relationship that the process will also reveal itself to you. Okay. Have you, do you have an an example of experience over time that's happened for you? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There have been so many times in in my own creative work where I would build my scaffolding, create uh, a lot of pre-work as to what I imagined the process and and the directionality to look like. And then I would get in and I would notice something new. And I believe that to be the project revealing itself to me or the idea revealing itself to me. In the book um, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, she talks in this one chapter about the Greek mythology around muse. And okay. and in that space, uh, the belief is that an idea is potentially its own sentience and it chooses you as a host not the other way around right so as a host for an idea you have to lower your ego a little bit to let it teach you what's going on and and in that book it's really fascinating she talks about how she had this really specific idea for a book she had location time frame she had very specific ideas for characters and before she could really get into it her mom got sick And she had to put that project on hold for almost a year. And when she was able to go back to it, those details were gone. Like, it wasn't the same process for her to engage with it. And within a year of that, one of her peers, who she had made friends with on on a writing panel, had lunch with her and told her, I have this rad idea for a book. It's going to be set in this place at this time. It's got this, I have this idea for a character. And it was essentially... Her book, like the idea had left Elizabeth and had chosen a new host. And I believe that happens all the time. So I think there's a question around, like, how do we show up as as good as good hosts for good ideas? Right. How do we treat those good ideas with kind of with a level of respect that they kind of deserve to really get them on paper and to to share those ideas with others? Yeah, absolutely. Have you ever um, heard of or read the book Hyperion? I haven't. Really? Okay. I I don't know if you'd enjoy it because we talked about you're not super into like fantasy. It's a sci-fi book. It's set like a hundred years I do years love sci-fi. 
incidentally. I love it. Yeah. Then um, one of the main characters in the book is a poet, and he's writing his contos, and his muse is this creature, this being from the future that's coming back called the Shrike, Ooh. and it's this murder machine, basically. It's this entity that nobody knows anything about, but that's his muse. Yeah. And so he's... You know, he's only one of the main characters, but it's him constantly, like, flirting with death, literally, because the Shrike is the god of death and worshipped Whoa. by many people in the book. And so it's him worshipping death and, and trying to be around it as much as possible yeah. so that he can write his contos, so that he can write this brilliant piece of work. Yeah. Um, but it, it's he's just a really fascinating character, and it's interesting hearing you talk about the idea of having a muse, having that, that one thing that really just gets your your blood pumping yeah. with ideas and gets that creativity going. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. That's very fascinating. Yeah. It's, um, it's a mutual choosing instead of one direction right. or the other. Yeah. And it would really suck to get a muse and then not have all the practice necessary to put it down on paper right. the way that you want. Absolutely. You know? oh. Absolutely. That, I think that's where I tend to stop myself before writing something down. I used to be really into poetry mm. and... I would just listen to all these like slam poems that are just gorgeous poems, just absolutely perfectly written in my eyes. Yeah. And so it's like, well, I would really love to write one, but it's not going to be as good as that. And so <laughs> then I just stop myself before I even trying yeah. because I'm not worrying. I'm not willing to go through all the work of 200 drafts. Yeah. You know, but in reality, if you think of it as, if, or rather, if I thought about it as one draft that takes me five minutes every day yeah. by the 200th day. Absolutely. Then I'd be there. Then, then we'd have that, that 200 times five minutes that we need to yeah. get to a draft that's actually worth something. Well, know? and I think, again, of the framework of relationship. If poetry, for example, is this long-lost secret love that you have, right? Right. And it were to come back into your life, hypothetically, mm -hmm. how, like, what if you showing up for that relationship was something that changed you just as much as potentially you had the capacity to change an aspect of poetry. Right. How, how do you mean? Like saying my my willingness to put in the work and uh, trying to put that idea down on paper changes poetry as itself. It changes its meaning to me. Right. Okay. Adrian Marie Brown often quotes Octavia Butler, who's the mother of Afrofuturism, which is an incredibly cool genre. Okay. And she says, whatever you touch, you change. And whatever you change, changes you. And change is God, is, is something she often says in her science right. fiction. Okay. Um, and I think about that within the framework of relationship, creative relationship especially of, you know, you, you let's say you put 200 hours in towards your poetry your poetry will change, but additionally, you will also change. Right. And you're investing equally in that relationship to poetry, but poetry is also changing you. Right. I'm equally allowing it to change me. Yeah. And helping me grow in that aspect. Yeah. That's interesting. How do you, um, how do you combat, or maybe, I don't know, what are your thoughts around having a process of sitting down and maybe writing you know, maybe you have some kind of goal of writing a thousand words a day or, Absolutely. you know, an hour a day or something like that. How does that, uh, like, strict of a 
like deadline affect creativity like is there a negative return on Mm -hmm. hey you're being a little bit too strict on yourself and you're not allowing yourself to be creative because you're stuck to this process of just absolutely done there are several creative authorities who would say that the act of creation and the act of analysis are and should be separate interesting okay that the work of analysis oftentimes corrupts the creative process so the creative process should be as deeply permissive as possible so um one of one of the processes that i've learned from many mentors um including from a book called the artist's way which i would highly recommend for anyone who is interested or curious in a creative process but has no idea where to start um one of the suggestions made in the artist's way is to have something called morning pages. And in morning pages, you commit to, as you wake up, you get your paper and pen. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think, the ritual of writing by hand to be important. And just write, push yourself to write for three pages. Does it have to make sense? No. Does it have to be brilliant? No. Can it be absolute garbage? Yes. But right. the process of pushing yourself to be in the space of I'm not going to stop writing until I've got my three pages in is like leg day. It's like yeah. the, the athleticism of putting yourself in the space of let's see what's there. And and the intention of those three pages is not to be the most brilliant person. However, Oftentimes, I encourage my clients to compost those pages, which means let them ferment for a few weeks and then go back and read your morning pages. And if they make you cringe, be curious about that. But if you find something that's resonant or or sparks you, be curious about that as well. That's so interesting. I've actually um, I listened to a lot of Joe Rogan and his podcast, and he talks about his creative process very similar to that mm-hmm. for stand-up comedy and how yeah. he he literally especially when he's preparing for a specific a show or something he'll write down for an hour he'll just write yeah and write and write and write and write and write and he says um i've, I've listened to a couple podcasts where he's said usually i'll write for an hour and really take out like one sentence and yeah. that, and i know that there's something there in that one sentence but i just don't know what it is and the rest is complete garbage yeah like if you looked at my notes you'd think i was a total amateur trash comedian <laughs> and you wouldn't think that i've been successful at it but then he at the, the next day he takes that one sentence and he writes pages and pages and pages off of that one sentence he just starts there yeah and just keeps going and then he takes the nugget and he usually ends up getting like three nuggets for the whole month or something and then he just pieces those together and there's you know, 30 second comedy bit. Yeah. And now he's got an hour left to fill yeah. for his, his comedy special. But that's really what it takes. It's yeah. just the dedication to put through all of the garbage that's in your head so you can get those nuggets. Absolutely. And and being being available enough to not throw out the baby with the bathwater, to be able to look through a whole page and be like, eh, this isn't doing it for me. But what is it about this piece that I can't quite put down? Right. Yeah. Or even, why do I not like this? Yeah. Like, is it my writing and the idea's good? Yeah. Or is this idea bad and my writing's good? Like, yeah. what is it about this that makes me cringe? Yeah. And I think, I imagine that there are probably spots in a lot of people's writings where you want to make people cringe, where you want it to be maybe an uncomfortable moment for the characters. And so yeah. understanding that from previous bad writing <laughs> helps know, like, how can I make this feel cringe yeah. in the moment? Yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. So how did you get into coaching? How did you go from writing to helping other people with their writing? Yeah, I've had a writing practice for 
almost a decade now. Mm-hmm. And I left my job in 2020 and I have I think I have several relationships with people who look into this creative practice that I've built for myself and feel like they wish they could have something right. similar. And I remember um I remember visiting with a friend specifically who has had one idea that they've wanted to write since they were like 12. Wow. It's like still vibrant and and crisp. The details are still there. Like I cannot remember anything from being 12, right? Right. But they have a whole manuscript that they've held on to from that time. And I said, what would it take for you to write it? Would you want to leave this life having not written this manuscript? And ultimately, they they wanted to get it out of them. So in order to, for my very first client, in order to make it worth it to them, they paid me to put a little skin in the game. Right. To yeah. make it so they were putting their money where their mouth was for themselves. They've, they've paid for sessions. Right. And that's how it started. And then from there, I, I, I got another client through word of mouth. And it's kind of been word of mouth so far. Awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, I assume it's probably a little bit different for all of your clients, but what is a typical session, yeah. a creative session look like for you and a client? Is it, and, and is it like weekly? Is it every yeah. other week, once a month? Like wh- what do you kind of prefer? What's a good way to start out? Yeah. I think I would first ask whether there is a project in mind or not. Okay. So if there's someone that is really looking to incubate a project, then I think we would create a timeline Mm -hmm. so that there's accountability in in making something happen. And we would probably meet weekly. I meet weekly with most of my clients for an hour or two hours. And depending on what they're hoping to achieve within their timeline, um, yeah, depends on what we talk about. Okay. So... um... If I have a friend maybe who listens to this and they have an idea mm-hmm. that they want to write about, um, do those first couple of sessions look like, hey, we're going to talk about things you can do to kind of get that creativity going, yeah. what a good daily practice that you could start would be, and then come back next week with a couple ideas and we'll just start talking about those and see if there's anything there. Totally. I think okay. I think the first thing that we identify are what are the barriers. Because right. if you haven't been producing your project already, there are reasons. Right. And let's let's talk about them. Let's talk about them honestly and with some some affection and some grace, understanding that like there is no perfect setting for, for creation or, or being creative. Right. right. But being able to be frank and address those barriers and maybe it's imposter syndrome or maybe it's you have kids and it's hard to make time or right. maybe you have a chronic illness and it's hard to do things when you don't feel good. Right. So. Being frank and honest about what the barriers are and frank and honest about what the aspiration is. I Something that I, I have noticed in every single client that I've come to is they have this super low bar for what they hope to achieve. They're like, I I hope to get this out of me or, oh, I, I just, just want to finish. Yeah, I, yeah. Wanna, I want this done and then I'll feel great. And I'm like, yeah, but what about if it, your story is so good? you should think about TV rights or like, what if your story is so good that it, you know, 
becomes a musical, then it changes people. You right. know, I, I think if if I can also expand someone's ambition, that also creates a lot of fuel for momentum. Right. Well, and that's we even talked about that a little bit, how you've just learned a lot about the publication and how do you yeah. just get it out on Amazon for free as a PDF? Like totally. you can do all of those things and there's, there's going to be someone who wants to read it. You know, oh, there's someone absolutely. who wants it. There, it might be two people, you know, for example, um, my brother-in-law Bill, he created uh, an album just totally all produced by himself. He did every part himself. I think he maybe he had a couple friends record like drum lines or something, Totally. but then he put it out on Spotify and Apple music. And uh, just so you know, everyone, the band is cinch. The okay. album, <laughs> so it's cinch. Um, it's just really cool because he he did it. You know, he yeah. completed it. Um, and he has like, I think it's something like ten people in New Zealand of all places who really like listen to it once a month, like that are pretty regular listeners. And it's it's not he didn't put it out to have yeah. like tons of fans or followers or anything. That's not what he's going for. He just wanted to say that he'd be able to did it. Yeah, that he did it and learn about producing and learn and test all those skills. Um, but there really are people who want to listen and totally. thank God that he posted it because there are 10 people who really enjoy listening <laughs> to it that he never would have guessed, you know? Yeah. So I think, I think that's awesome. You know, expanding people's dreams and aspirations. I think that's incredibly important. Yeah. And I think it relates back to a fundamental value that I have around creative work, which is once you have created something, it no longer belongs to you. Right. So right. like, Bill's created this rad album, but like it finally belongs to the people in New Zealand who have been waiting for it. Right. They didn't right. know, but now it's theirs. And I yeah. think that is some really potent magic in a creative process is understanding the work that you're doing may or may not be for you. Oh, that's such a fascinating mindset. Right. And I think uh, that bleeds so heavily into, well, like having a goal and having deadlines, but also I think myself and a lot of people, are like me in this instance, uh, that they want, they're more, more, more motivated to do things for other people. Mm. Right. I, I want all of my friends to eat healthy and exercise, but I'm not willing to eat healthy <laughs> and exercise. It's that kind of mentality totally. right? of you're willing to treat others with the respect they deserve and less for yourself. And so mm. sometimes it can be good to think about, Hey, there's going to be two people who want to read this yeah. and I'm just going to finish for them. I, you know, I or there could deserve be 2,000 or 200,000. Right. You don't know. Yeah. I, I've literally seen it happen so many times. We're just, there's a cult following all of a sudden. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. So yeah. cool. So do you, um, only help, uh, writers? Do you help other artists as well? Are you interested in helping art Yeah, as absolutely. Well? I think, I think that creative process and creative relationship transcend form. I, I think that the modality of of what you're doing mm-hmm. um, is is important, but it's less important as to in terms of why you're doing it or what you hope to achieve right. or or what your relationship is. I think the form is only the modality. The real work is the work of relationship to it. Right. And it's so interesting to think of it as it is very, oh, it's going to get really loud, everybody, because we're in a <laughs> we're next to an airport and there's a plane taking off. So if it gets loud, I'm so sorry. But um, it is interesting to think about creativity um, in the sense that one, you can put procedures around it, writing daily, and it is a skill that you can learn and grow. Um, but at the same time, it's still creative. It's still magic. There's still something there that you don't get from leg yeah. day, that you don't get from other things. I'm going to turn the mics down real quick, everybody, for this plane to pass by. It's going to get so loud. <laughs> Just turn that all the way down.
I think we're safe. That's just the struggles of recording in a van. Yeah, that's right. That's right? real life that's, podcasting. Yeah, real, <laughs> real time <laughs> problems, people. Yeah, I'm also not good enough at uh, editing to be like, okay, we're going to just not talk, take a two minute break and then cut it. And then, no, nah, I'm, I'm not worried about that. Anyway. No um, yeah, I think that's, it's such an interesting aspect of creativity that I like, I think everybody needs a creative outlet, you Absolutely. know, and that's, that's one reason I do a podcast is like, you know, I spend a bunch of time alone in a van during the winter and I'm yeah. like, man, I just need some way to like yeah. get my ideas and the things that I think about on my own out to other people. Totally. And there are people like you who are doing such cool things <laughs> and it's like, people want to hear yeah. what you have to say and, and the expertise that you have on this, because I think you know, creativity is something that we can all benefit from, yeah. you know, for ourselves personally and from other people's creativity. I mean, that's why totally. artists and books are, that's why they're so prominent in our culture. Totally. But everyone kind of has this stigma of you have to be a professional in order to create and enjoy that. Yeah. And that's just not true. Simply like, not true. You know, me painting something really crappy is still me painting. And totally. it's still magical. Yeah, it's and incredible. and it's still like somewhere on on the path of relationship, you know. Right, it's still you interacting with the object and creating a relationship with it. That's, yeah, I love that thinking as well because you know there's so many sidelines you can go on about relationships and how to grow relationships and the the uh, similarities between relationships with people and relationships with creative projects and objects that you're absolutely you're interacting with. Um, so I'm wondering because. You know, I I don't know, like, your whole life story. Obviously, we grew up in the same mm -hmm. town, and you were best friends with my older sister, so we know each other from childhood. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that you're also very musically gifted, and your dad is extremely musically gifted. Yes. Um, how do you feel like your other modes of creativity have affected your writing? And yeah. um, what would you say to other people who maybe have one creative outlet and are looking for another one. I mean, I think we live in a world that requires us to specialize, right? Mm -hmm. We right. are invited to pare down. We're invited to let go of the things that aren't going to take up all of our time. Right. And I just think that's a really ridiculous what and bogus way yeah. to live. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think that I, I remember being in college and I took – a film class every semester I was in there because uh -huh. I loved it. Right. And um, something that was said often in these film classes is like, if you want to be a good filmmaker, do absolutely everything else that you can. Being, having a side interest in mechanics is going to improve the quality of your filmmaking. Right. Being obsessed with plants or being obsessed with color theory or being obsessed right. with, whatever is going to enhance the flavor of the story that you're telling. Right. And I think that's true for all the, all of the modalities, as I say, uh, that one could engage in creatively. I think they create depth and flavor. Right. Oh, that's so interesting. Well, and especially in something like, uh, you know, storyline based, uh, project, right. Yeah. Where it's a, a movie or a play or, or a book or something where, you might have a scene where you're in a mechanic shop or yeah. something. And so all of a sudden you need to know like how to describe that. And what would you see in a mechanic shop? What yeah. what would you smell? And then how can you bring that experience that you've had in those instances to your, your readers or to your totally. audience? And that's the better you are. The I'm sure a great mechanic could really describe that scene well. Sure. You know? So right. having those skills helps. And, and what you might not realize that you're doing is like you're building a new bridge to – 
to someone who maybe only knows about mechanics, right? Right. They're they're engaged in your story, and now they have a bridgeway into new things. Right. Because they were able to find an accessibility point in that thing. Hmm. What do you? <laughs> so, as we were talking about that, I'm thinking it would like that's a very interesting idea. If there was like, if you do a story about a mechanic who then goes saves the world, right? Like figure totally. out the details later. But he he starts out of a mechanic. Yeah. Um. And then my second thought was that's a terrible idea, Sam. Why would you? <laughs> but it is an idea. Um, how do you discern what are the good ideas and what are the complete crap ones that really aren't worth spending as much time on? Um, I think that, I think that a good idea or a bad idea, truly, is represented in the hands of the ones holding it. I mean, mm. <clears throat> if you if you were to like summarize some of the best-selling things like this the stories in in a one-line pitch may sound ridiculous in fact i think there's like several youtube series of people pitching movies that are great but in the pitch meeting they sound ridiculous yeah so oh, yeah the pitch meeting guy or whatever yeah, where you're just like yeah. yeah we're gonna do this and kill all the characters what yeah <laughs> you know? it's like that's a terrible idea totally and so i think it, it extracting the process of analysis mm -hmm while you're creating is so important let the right. thing be and then decide whether you want to continue your relationship or not if you want to continue feeding this idea or not right yeah and it goes back to what you said about maybe just let it sit yeah for a month or a year even and then yep. go back to it later and think man maybe there is something here that i'm a little bit more excited about now yeah than i was before and even maybe you have that idea about a mechanic turning into the hero yeah. and it doesn't resonate with you at all. And so you just put it on the paper, but then you go back a year later and you're like, man, in the last year I've broken my car so many times. I've spent so much time in a mechanic shop. This would actually be a really cool story because yeah. I've met mechanics and now I know what that might actually look like. Exactly. And it's cool and interesting. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah I, I think, uh, I think there's a lot to be said about nothing's really a bad idea. It's just what's speaking to you and yeah. what's, What's something that you're actually willing to put the time and, and effort into the relationship for? I, w I will say one thing on bad ideas is mm. I think that I invite creatives to consider the accountability for the ideas that they create, right? If there's an idea that's going to create harm in the world, I would consider that. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's that's my biggest invitation as to whether an idea would be good or bad. Right. Instead of what you may perceive with your ego to have value, instead start with who potentially could this harm. Right. And if it's no one, keep keep being curious. It's a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Just keep going down that road. If yeah. it has the potential to harm people, then you know this might not be as good of an idea. Yeah. Maybe it, we nip that in the bud. That's something we've talked about briefly on and off this weekend too. Is mm -hmm. like there are so many narratives that have been recycled and recycled in a way that they've become stereotypes that have hurt communities. Right. Yeah. I mean, and for everybody else, we specifically talked about the stereotypes of of people in the South, for example, mm -hmm. or um, in doing an accent for them, right? right? If I'm if I wanted to portray someone who is Texan, I'd do a Texas accent, but I right. likely I think the stereotype is also making those southern people sound really stupid right and that's not true and not fair to portray those accents and that that culture those totally. people by just stupid that's that's a terrible and yeah. hurtful stereotype but we do it all the time i i come from it. i come from appalachians like i i come from people who worked in coal mines right. i come from really hard innovative creative thinkers and that's not how they're portrayed often to right. their detriment 
people yeah. are less likely to hire them. People are less likely to take them seriously. Yeah. So something to consider in your process. Yeah, they're they're portrayed poorly. Yeah. And that's not fair to them because they're not poor people. They're yeah. not bad people. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I think there's there's a lot of validity in that, and that I think you could go on a whole spiral of creativity just off of that. Like, totally. what else is there in my life that I think um, most people portray as bad that I don't think is bad, and let's you know let's have some kind of creative project that illuminates that a little bit more and maybe totally. sheds the kind of light in opinion that i have on these things that is good yeah and that the good side of it um man that's that's super fascinating that's really yeah. interesting um we've got a couple more minutes before we need to end this but i wanted to give you a little bit of time to talk about some of your own projects if you wanted to, to oh, share sure if you want to, you don't have to. But <laughs> I obviously. have so many. Yeah, there are so many things that I'm working on right now. And something that we've talked about a little bit this weekend is that I'm navigating, and I think this is very common for creatives, the gap between what I perceive to be my <laughs> my resources and my understanding and ability and the thing I want to do. So right. I'm trying to teach myself about building publications currently because I, for example, really believe that the stories of people living in rural, rural spaces should be told by them. And it's not happening. It's right. not often told by people who live in rural spaces. So I'm trying to teach myself to build a publication right now because I think that belongs in the world. I that's, that's one, amazing. for example. Yeah. I, I've got creative uh, – I've got some creative nonfiction that I'm working on um, related to – the themes of celebration, what it is mm -hmm. that we celebrate and who we are and the and way why that they we celebrate those things and yeah. what they mean to people. The way they reflect us. Oh, it's so interesting. I love it. Yeah. And and some fiction work and some a little bit of everything. Man, I love having this conversation with you and just having you around this weekend, especially talking about rural communities and people who don't uh, typically get portrayed with their own voice, but rather the voices of, quote, outsiders that mm -hmm. are looking in on their communities. Perceptions, right? Yeah, the perceptions of what they how they live. Because um, just in the last year, I've asked my mother a lot about, you know, growing up in Athens from her perspective and yeah. how she viewed people. Because, you know, she was an adult and I was a kid. I just knew, yeah. like, the two other kids in my grade that I, or <laughs> on my street that I was friends with. That's but, right. You know, it's been really interesting to hear her talk about you know, some of the differences between people who were generation, generationally living there yeah. and have been living there for years or yep. decades and the people who are there just for the college town Absolutely. just because they got a job and they moved in for a couple of years and they're going to be gone. Totally. Um, and it's really interesting to hear what some of those, um, I guess, where those two cultures kind of clash. Yeah. And then, but then how that also creates the local environment that is Athens, Ohio, <laughs> yeah. and the interesting yeah. piece of that county. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm really glad. I hope you, you know, find a way to, you know, publicate, publicize, pub, publish, sure, publish. Jeez, yeah. gosh, uh, <laughs> how to publish those? And um, I'm excited to hear more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We'll follow up with you in like a year or something. Sounds do another episode. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Yeah, Sam. of course. Thank you. All right, see everyone.